Welcome again to another episode of Putting the Pieces Together with Jigsaw Learning. I'm joined today by Tim Rogers and Laurel Beaton, uh, both down in Grassland School Division. And if you guys want to give me a minute to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your school. Sure. Go ahead, Laurel. Uh, yeah, hi. Thanks for having us. I'm Laurel Beaton. I am the Vice Principal of Eastbrook Elementary School. Um, it is a pre-kindergarten to grade 6 school with approximately uh, 430 students. So, and I'm Tim Rogers. I'm principal at the school. This is my sixth year at Eastbrook, and I'm historically junior high is where my home is. Um, Laurel, this is her second year, and she's high school generally by trade. It's a bit new for both of us. So how did you first come to hear about collaborative response? Uh, I was vice principal at the junior high. It was probably 10 years ago that we did some work as a school. Uh, a number of administrators and teachers went to Calgary. Uh, took part in uh, some, uh, I think it was RTI at the time, um, a collaborative response discussions with Curtis and Calgary. And so we just looked at a way of meeting the needs of our students at the junior high. And then uh, when I came down to Eastbrook, we just continued on with the RTI that they had in place and then uh, moved towards a collaborative response model in the last couple of years. So what is it about now that makes it the right time to be reinvigorating collaborative response? We have a really fabulous school here, Eastbrook School. It was recently modernized, so it is beautiful with lots of natural light, and it's just a great place to learn. So our school, we have, we've actually experienced a decrease of 50 students this year um, that moved for various reasons. And so yeah, we have about half of our student population uh, qualifies for ESL coding, and we have based on our numbers now, but one in seven of our students are in country as refugees. So they came to Canada as refugees. We just had, for example, a family of four registered yesterday from uh, Ethiopia. There's Somali through Ethiopia who qualify or came as refugee students. So we have the, the gamut and then we also draw from um, a couple different communities within Brooks in general. And, and so it ranges from uh, the wage laborers at our packing plant to some families who have fairly large homes and who some may consider rather affluent. So we have a real diverse mix, but we definitely uh, cater to a specific group of students. How is it you find that collaborative response is, is going to help you respond to the diversity in your student needs? So one of the biggest things that our teachers were asking for last year, and even previous to last year, is to have those in-depth conversations about learning. Um, we do have and we have had systems in place for looking at focusing on uh, those students with really exceptional needs, uh, kind of the, the red level students where they require tier three interventions that are brought in outside of the school and, and working with uh, outside service providers, consultants, psychologists. But our teachers were really looking at how do we support those middle students who just have uh, gaps in learning that we think we can fill uh, in the short term. Uh, we had been working for quite a while now with uh, level literacy intervention for students who were a little bit behind in their reading level, but we found that there needed to be broader discussion about other areas of learning outside of just that, that literacy and just worrying about reading levels. And so really it's in response to what our teachers had asked for is we need to just talk about kids and their learning somewhere beyond universal instruction and the pull out tier three level interventions and so collaborative response just provided the structures for us to do that. 
Yeah, I think like the reinvigorating the collaborative response model has really been about the structures and we've really enjoyed working with Curtis around like using the templates that, that you guys have created um, in terms of like pre-meeting organizers and how we facilitate a meeting and just all of that has been huge for our staff. Um, they really love the structure and they love having that format to follow and the conversations then are just really rich because you're not worrying about how to do it. You have a way to do it. And um yeah, the teacher, our teachers have asked for it, like Tim said, and then they've really been um, super um, committed to it because it came from the ground up that this was something they identified as a need in our school. Tim's right. We do a, a fantastic job of um, meeting the needs of our exceptional learners, whether it be um, through, you know, whether because they're EELL students or because they have some form of disability. We've been really great at that as a school, like really great. But the concern from teachers was what do we do with those kids that are kind of in that yellow zone or even how do we help our kids that are um, performing above grade level to make sure that we're continuing to meet their learning needs as well. So um, I think it was just, it was time, you know, we'd taken care of maybe the most urgent needs and now it was time to get to the work of what's really important as well. So, yeah. My strength has never really been kind of that, I guess facilitating those discussions and how do we have those meaningful deep discussions with teachers in that formal way. We have lots of conversations going on in classrooms. Teachers have those conversations, but what I really appreciate about the, the clever response structures and the processes is that it takes really the guessing and the, really it takes the prep work out of it from a leadership point of view at how are we going to do this? How are we going to record it? How are we going to attract the students? It's all there for us. So when we get together, it can just be really about um, teachers identifying needs in their classroom, identifying uh, the, the students who have those needs, and then working with our groups to put those the, the interventions or the supports in place. So how do you find your staff is responding to the, these structures and these processes and these this reinvigoration? Yeah, it's been really exceptional. It's been positive for sure. Um, I think because they wanted it and asked for it, is um, it's always good to have buy-in from the beginning. Um, but I know that we just started started the process last year, and we didn't do as many rounds of collaborative response as maybe we would have liked. And teachers' um, response to that was, "We need to do this more frequently." So when they're asking for more, that's a good sign, right? They see the value, and uh, so we've been able to structure that they'll be that there's more rounds of collaborative response. It's a more consistent and regular practice inside the school this year. Last year was sort of about learning and launching, and now we're ready to really. Um, implement it with fidelity so yeah our teachers have responded really positively and i think you can tell that because when we had our first round of meetings we we had the conversations were happening beforehand and i know we had some some great groups that came together you can tell the teachers responded very positively because before we the first round that we had um, we booked time off during uh school pd day and we ran it during that day and teachers came not only were they prepared with their pre-meeting organizers, but quite a few of the groups had said, well, we've already kind of talked about this ahead of time. So it precipitated those conversations about learning and what students need even before we got to collaborative response, because they wanted to make sure when they came to the CRM meetings that they weren't overlapping with their needs and they could talk about two or three different needs in their classroom, as opposed to the same teacher, three, three different teachers bringing up the same issue. So it was just, they were just really involved in the pre-planning and they come ready for our meetings. That is fantastic to hear. So how do you envision this reinvigoration on the, the future of Eastbrook School then? 
I think it just becomes part of what we do. It just becomes part of culture. It just becomes part of practice. It just becomes natural. I think that's the goal this year is that um, everyone just knows like, and can take any role. I think that that's the future for our school right now. It's still a little bit like leadership led in terms of facilitating meetings and taking on some of those roles. But I do see the future in our school that any person that is a teacher in this building and maybe support support staff in the future as well could take on any role in that meeting. So they could be a facilitator, they could be a timer, they could be any of those roles. So that's what we're working towards is everyone feeling like it's really fluid. Um, fluid might not be the right word. It's really comfortable. And that, um, you know, that they feel like they can take on any responsibility to make the meeting happen. It doesn't have to be on Tim or I to do the leadership part or the facilitation part. One of the other great things is that Grasslands as a whole, so when we, when we get together for our uh, administrative days, our admin meeting days, is that we're working through the same processes there and working with Curtis. So our school's lucky because we started reinvigorating last year, but <laughs> all of Grasslands is working with Curtis. And I just see it having a real significant impact because even discussions with uh, superintendent where we were talking about how collaborative sponsoring really are professional learning and it's not something that we have to do outside of our, our, our school improvement or school education plan. We can, uh, we can enter, what's the word, interweave it. We can weave it together with uh, the learning sprints work that we've done at our school and other schools have done. So it's really connecting to other areas that we're doing the school and other, uh, there's a word for it, other initiatives. Other initiatives. Oh, that's a terrible word. But it is. So the collaborative response is, is we're interweaving with other initiatives in our school and in our division and tying it together with our professional learning, with learning sprints, uh, and even some professional learning outside of the structures that we've set aside in the school where teachers are working on their own professional growth plans. So they've tied all of those things together. Division, professional learning, individual professional learning, school-based education plans, Wow. I think something else that's really important that our teachers have noticed or that I've noticed is that at first I thought collaborative response would be something we would have the meeting and we would identify those students that had needs that we wanted to address and then we'd have to go out and maybe like do some learning about what to do about that or go out and like read a book or do some research or whatever that was. Um, and sometimes that does happen and that, then that's what Tim's talking about, how it weaves together, but sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes we have all the, we have the answers here, which is really empowering for teachers, right? Like they have the answers. They collaboratively have an answer to the problem that they're presenting. And so it's just a really great time to be together and reflect on what they know works and then to put that into practice. And that's really, really positive for teachers. I think I would tend to agree with that. How do you envision the role of leadership in terms of collaborative response as you continue to reinvigorate it through your school? I see the rural role of the formal leaders is diminishing and it becoming more uh, teacher leaders and informal leaders where we don't have to be the ones that lead every meeting and guide the discussion where uh, like Laurel said before, whether we're going to start with our next round, we're going to start with our, we have uh, a group of uh, teacher leaders kind of formally identified uh, as teacher leaders. I think there's six or seven of those individuals. And so they're going to lead the next round of collaborative response. 
things, and Laurel and I then get to become participants. But after that, we see teachers themselves, um, classroom teachers without any identification, but without being those those formal leaders, is taking over and facilitating those meetings. I think, like in the future, our leadership would be responsible for like. Um, making sure it happens, but not being in charge of how or where or what's said or yeah, facilitating won't be our role anymore. It will be just making sure that the structures are in place. So this is the time when we do this, right? So that's our job because we're in charge of schedules and we're in charge of time and we're in charge of calendars and we're in charge of all of that stuff as leaders in the school. And so it's our responsibility to make sure that that time is set aside to have the meetings. And then, yeah, like Tim says, it, our leadership then steps back and other people's leadership steps up. What would you say is the one learning from collaborative response that's really resonated with you? Yeah, just that we know, like teachers know what to do to help students with learning, especially when we're talking about just making those small games, like we're just trying to help a student move up a reading level, or sometimes we talk about um, just even pro-social behaviors and things that we want to see from students. And that, that could be the topic of the collaborative response meeting. Um, teachers have fantastic strategies and they love sharing and they love helping each other out. So I think, yeah, that's the big takeaway for me is that it's not always about reinventing the wheel or coming up with some new fancy idea. It's the ideas are here. We know what to do. We just needed the time to articulate the problem and then put our best solutions on the table and then choose one to take away and go do it. And that is huge for teachers. Um, and it's really successful. Teachers are ready to have these conversations and they're having these conversations already but having it in, in a structure of some sort just helps them realize how much they know about their students how much they know about student learning teachers have the expertise teachers have uh, knowledge and skill set but they need time to discuss it they need time to really sometimes it's just work it out in their own mind through discussions with their peers having the meetings really helps people to understand or to recognize that they're not alone in their struggle in their classroom is that hey you know what those other classrooms are having those same difficulties and now there's three of us working together to help support a group of students instead of me by myself i see us we've talked about it before about about doing uh, multi-grade level groups and i think that'll really empower teachers uh, because a grade six teacher can learn from a grade one teacher how to make any impact on student learning, how to support students who maybe aren't working at grade level. But I look forward to that because I do think that, that teachers at all different grade levels can learn something from each other. It's not just only grade one teachers know about grade one kids. Everybody knows about what good learning looks like in their classroom. Well, thank you both for making time to share a little bit about your story. I know that uh, our viewers will appreciate the idea of empowerment that comes from your stories. So thank you again for being here today. All right, thanks very much.